Okay, in the spirit in the spirit of the season, we want to. Uh, in, in, let me give you a little um, uh, look forward. All right, in, uh, in in this month of November, the sermons will deal um, with with Thanksgiving in some regard. Today today will be setting up a contrast between being grateful and being not so grateful, and, and we'll learn from that. And then next week we'll talk about an enemy of gratefulness. And then the next week we'll we'll look at uh, an expression of of gratitude in 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 the most difficult of circumstances. And then in the last Sunday of the month we'll talk about what what the Apostle Paul's grateful for, and 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 we know what that is because he says it so many times, and then he gives examples of what he's thankful for. And uh, he's thankful for a lot of things, but we're going to pinpoint just one. We're going to focus on one area, okay? And then in December, of course, that's Christmas, so we'll talk. We'll give some Christmas messages. And then in in, in be, at the beginning of the year, we'll start. We'll start with a with a New Testament epistle. We'll talk about one of Paul's letters, or or maybe one of John's letters, or maybe one of Peter's letters. But we'll we'll get into the New Testament into a New Testament letter, and we'll work through that. Okay, but today we're talking about gratitude. All right, and we're going we're gonna to examine a negative example from the Old Testament. And, and in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it, it, it tells us that these stories that we look at in the Old Testament are, are stories that help us understand human nature and provide an example for us of what, of what we should be and what we shouldn't be. All right, and it's going to become pretty obvious pretty quickly that this is something that we shouldn't be. In Exodus chapter 16, Exodus chapter 16. Exod- be careful, Betsy, when you walk by Dale. When you do an email, when you do a text, anything like that, you've got to hit send. I, I knew you were. I, I knew it. Hit send. Okay. Really, we got to move on, okay? <laughs> Exodus chapter 16. All right. This is, this is of course, this is a body of, 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 of people we're talking about here that have, that, have, that have been delivered. They've been delivered from this oppressive ruler in Egypt. They've been delivered and now they've been mobilized and, and they've experienced all, that, all, the, all the miracles of, of Egypt, including the path crossing of the Red Sea when the Lord parted the waters. And, and they've seen the miracles of God. They've seen God demonstrate His, His, His great power, His, His mighty power on a number of occasions. And, uh, and in that sense, this is a privileged people. They've, they've seen God at work. They've seen... What, what's described in the Bible as the finger of God. They've seen that. They've witnessed it. They're traveling as this group, and they set out from Elam. And, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to read it. There's a lot of verses, but I'm going to read it. And then we're going to go back and, and, and comment on it. They all set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin. That's just the name of a place. Not, there's nothing beyond that to be concerned about, which is between Elam and Sinai. 
on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. Verse 2, And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. They complained. They murmured. And the people of Israel said to them, that is to Moses and Aaron, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Now, I, I want you to picture this before, before I go on, okay? You've had, many of you have had children. Some of you have grandchildren. Some of you will have children. If you will, are, are going to have children at some point, you'll understand this. But you may be able to understand it as a child. When you give your child something, and that child comes and complains to you about what you've given that child, what is your tendency? Now, don't answer that out loud. Because I can guess. There's a lecture coming. Now, a lecture takes many different forms. Okay? Whether it's, what about the poor people over here? Or, 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 or whatever it is, there's normally, on the part of the parent, a lecture that concludes with, you don't know how good you have it. Thank you. <laughs> I was waiting, and Juan, you're right on the spot. Okay. No, let's not elaborate. Okay. <laughs> now, look at, how, look at how the Lord responds. Okay. Now this lesson is not, this, this teaching is not about, this, this, this passage is not about parenting necessarily. Okay, but it, but it, can, it can give us some, some helpful instructions. Look at how God deals with these complaining people. After all, listen, after all, there were pots of meat in Egypt. And they are experiencing life in the desert. There is a dramatic change in their status. Okay. But does that make grumbling permissible? Let's look. The Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven. Imagine that, raining bread. Okay. If it's multi-grain bread, that'd be cool. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. The key, the key phrase there is daily. And, and the whole idea of the test. Okay, On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. 
So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? Now, now four times it's going to mention the Lord has heard your grumbling. Okay? So that's going to be, because it's repeated four times in just a, a short span of verses, repetition is important. So it's important that we remember that God hears the grumbling. And Moses said, verse 8, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against Him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for He has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. Just as it had on many other occasions, the glory of the Lord appears in the cloud. God shows up. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. See what I mean? Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Now who can guarantee stuff like that? There's only one who can. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. Now let me interrupt myself here real quick. The bread from heaven. Somebody said later on, few centuries later I'm the bread of life that comes from heaven Moses said to them it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat this is what the Lord has commanded gather of it each one of you as much as he can eat you shall take each an omer according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent And the people of Israel did so. They gathered, some more, some less. So there was an even distribution. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever, whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. Jesus said, pray. Give us this day Our daily bread. So why do we build pantries? Why do we have freezers and refrigerators and grocery stores with 80,000 
that may be a little bit of an exaggeration, but not much choice of cereal. And they did so. They gathered some, some more, some less. They measured it with an omer. Whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said, verse 19, let no one leave any of it over till the morning. The next few, ver- the next few words are pretty typical. They did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till morning. And it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with him. So that means that stuff that's growing in your refrigerator, it's probably not good. (laughs) Anybody else have that problem? Morning by morning as they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun got hot, grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two homers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Now you notice a miracle here, right? You're taking note of the miracle. Tomorrow's a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath. To the Lord, bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil. And all that is left over, or left, left over, lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning as Moses commanded them. And it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. Moses said, eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, there shall be none. Now this is before the Sabbath day as as a technical day was was established. But if you go back to Genesis chapter 1, God established a rhythm, you know, in in which he worked six days and rested on the seventh, okay? Now we're not going to take time today to talk about the Sabbath. All right, and how the Sabbath has been fulfilled in Christ and, and what we should do as a result of that. At some point, we will. That's just a commercial for another sermon. Okay? They did not listen. Where did I end up? On the sixth day, they gathered much. Um, so they laid it aside till morning, verse 24, as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink. There were no worms in it. Moses said, eat it today, for today is the Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find it in the field six days. You shall gather it, but on the seventh, which is the Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Do you, do, you guys, do, you, do you guys see in these folks something of maybe us and ourselves and some of our own tendencies? Now is the house of the Lord called, now the house of the Lord called his name manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded, let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness, which I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, take a jar, put an omer of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations as the Lord commanded Moses. So Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate the manna 40 years till they came to a habitable land. uh, habitable land they ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of canaan and omer was the tenth part of an ephah now now see i've i've heard people do this and don't do this 
because it's an indictment against ourselves. We say, well, these people, all they do is complain and, 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 and grow bitter and, and they deserve everything they get. Guys, let me just ask a question and I'm asking it of myself as well as you. If you had to eat manna every day for 40 years, would you complain? I know you would. I know you would. Because when we have potlucks, we don't have just one dish. And I see what you post on Facebook. And I see how much each of you, and myself included, how much we love food and how much we love a variety in our diet. We do. What if you had to eat manna for 40 years? These people don't come off so bad then, do they? They're just normal. But guess what? Sometimes normal doesn't match what God wants. We should be extraordinary in many areas and especially in the area of gratitude. Extraordinarily grateful. Chapter 17, just seven verses. And the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord. And they camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And everyone who's ever pastored a church understands this. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and taking your hand the staff of which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you will strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. Now this wasn't a trickle, because there were myriads of people. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Masa and Meribah. Masa means test. Meribah means contention. Because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, is God here or not? Let's pray. We're not done though. I have a few thoughts for you. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Just uh, use it to, to change us, to help us be what you've called us to be. We pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. God wants us to grow into trusting and grateful people. And, and because he wants that, he has started a process in us to develop that within us. To develop within us uh, 
gratefulness and thanksgiving and, and trust. And that, that, that would be smooth. That would be, that we, that would, we would have a smooth road to that place if we could control our circumstances. If, if I could dictate the circumstances of my life, then being grateful would be easy. But for many reasons, and all of them theological reasons, life isn't easy. You can't live in a fallen and flawed world and expect bad things not to happen. They're going to happen. So somehow, in the midst of all this all this trial and temptation and, and turmoil and, and all of these things we've, we've, we've got to become because this is what God is producing in us. We've got to become grateful, thankful, trusting people. That's where we're headed. That's the process. The goal is that we become like Jesus and Jesus was a grateful, trusting person. Man does not live by bread alone, he said, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. You see? Difficult circumstances can do this, though. Can shrink our brain and shrivel our heart. We see the signs of trouble and we slip into this. We slip into what I'm going to call grumble mode. We see signs of trouble and we slip into grumble mode. And when we slip into grumble mode, this is normally what we say. Whether we express it out loud or not, this is what we say. Someone made a mistake and someone has to pay or someone is to blame. Someone made a mistake and someone's to blame. Can anybody in the room relate to this? I think you can. Normally these kinds of things take place when there's a change of circumstances, a change of status. Maybe it's the change of a place. Maybe you change the place and, and you look back and you say, that other place was better. People do that all the time with church. Well, that other church is better. And then they get to the other church and it ends up not being better. Well, it is in the beginning, but not in the long run. Change of status often will do this. That's what happened with these folks. They changed status. They had a life in Egypt. And, and ironically, their life in Egypt was a life of tyranny, a life of oppression, a life of slavery. But they looked back at it and they glamorized it because they lived in a desert. We take bits, we change, let's say we change a place. Let's say, let's, let's just use me for an example, okay? I changed places. I came from Reading and now I'm in Wasco, okay? Now we're not going to make a comment on whether I want to be in Wasco or not. That's not up for debate, okay? It's an example. 
We're using me as an example. All right? So we change places. We take bits and, infor- bits of, and pieces of information, and then we form them, form them into a perspective. So God moved us from Reading to Wasco. Since we've lived in Wasco, we've picked up on things. We've picked up on a culture, a culture of our church, a culture in our community, all kinds of things. We've accumulated bits and pieces of information and then drawn conclusions. And let's say I draw the wrong conclusion. The wrong conclusion would be this. God, you're, 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 God, you made a foolish choice. Why did you do that? Why did you take me away from there and bring me here? See, we're always doing that. We're always accumulating data. And we're interpreting that data. And it's forming conclusions and perspective. Judy, why did you make me do that? Why did you make me move here? These people don't like me. See what we do? I've never said that to her. Have I? Maybe Maybe I did. I don't know. See, we have, we have this. This is why we grumble. We have memory issues. We remember Reading as paradise. Not paradise, California. Paradise. Oh, man. What a good place. What good people. See, we glamorize the past glamorize our memories oh it was so good when I was single you see you see you see what we do we all do it they did it man if I'm gonna die I want to die in Egypt at least my belly will be full at least I'll have a last meal I'd rather die in Egypt than die in the desert See, we have limited perspective, longing for a past that, we, that we've created into an ideal situation. But see, here's the problem with that. We can only see our prospects from a distance. You understand what I'm saying? We can only see our prospects from a distance. We don't have the kind of knowledge that God has. So I may be struggling today, but there may be something wonderful around the corner that I can't see. Does that make sense? We have a limited view of things. They could only see death. We're going to die. And better that we die in Egypt than we die here. See, it's the better off problem. I was better off in Reading. You were better off with the last pastor. I can just imagine this. Nobody's ever really done this, but I can imagine it. Somebody come up to me and saying, you gotta, you got to see me. Look at me. you got to see me. We don't like you, Pastor Dave, because you don't smile enough. What? We don't like you, Pastor Dave, because you don't smile enough. Look in the mirror. 
we don't like you, Pastor Dave, because you're not always nice. Well, of course I'm not always nice. How, how, explain this to me, okay? How can you preach an offensive message that's inherently offensive? Inherently offensive. Paul said, it's a stumbling block and just an outright offense. How can you preach that message and have everyone like you? Don't blame me. Your problem's with God. We tend to have the better off syndrome. I'd be better off with my last job. Oh, really? Why did you change then? The question we all have to ask today is, is our vision better than God's vision? You see? Is my vision better than God's vision? God will always do this. He will always, always, don't kick and scream about this. He will always put us in a position to trust Him. I hope that you're seeing a theme develop (laughs) in in all of these messages, and and it won't change. Because that's a major theme in the Bible. God, if God wants anything from us, it's, his, it's our trust in Him. It's just expressed in so many, in a variety of different ways. God puts us in a position to trust Him. Grumbling, listen to this, grumbling is an indicator that we have something to learn. And that's what, that's what after, after verse 3, that's what the rest of the chapter is about. Grumbling, when we grumble, that's an indicator that we have something to learn, that we need to go back to school. Now, don't let that be a, uh, don't let that be a stumbling block to you because, because even if you didn't like school, we're in school anyway because we're in God's school. We're in the school of discipleship. We're always in that school. So try to separate any bad experiences you had in elementary or junior high or high school or even college. Separate those from this school of life that God has us in. Grumbling is an indicator that we have something to learn. What, this is what God does in response to grumbling. He teaches. God responds to our dissatisfaction with life with important lessons. Here's the first that I see in the text that I just read. There are probably more. God hears everything. Don't think you can go in your closet and grumble and get away with it. (laughs) Because you can't. God hears everything. God hears everything everywhere. Okay? Thank Him for His patient endurance. Thank Him for His patient endurance. 
Because let's face it, there's not a person in the room who's innocent. God knows everything. When you blame a person, when you blame your spouse for the situa- your situation in life, that it's not up to your standards, it's not up to your, that somehow you need an upgrade. It's not that you're blaming your spouse, it's that you're shaking your fist in a, in a, in a, you're shaking your fist at God. Saying, God, you don't know what you're doing. Either that or you don't believe that He controls everything. But personally, I do. Even the choices that I make work within His plan. So if you think you're married to the wrong person, you're not. Or you think you have the wrong job. It, 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 it may, it, you may change jobs. Those are, those are things that can change. Don't change your spouse. But jobs can change, okay? Those things can change, but, 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 but don't, don't gripe about it. Because you're shaking your fist at God. God doesn't know what He's doing. He can't take care of you in that situation. But can God take care of you in that situation? Well, absolutely He can. We all believe that, don't we? He provides in His way for our benefit. And we saw part of His way. Part of His way was that He does it daily. Life, guys, please, Life is day-to-day. Don't live today. I mean, don't, don't live your life 10 years from now. Live your life today. And today, God will provide whatever we need for today. Does that make sense? It'll, it'll take away some of that grumbling, some of that complaining. Because normally when we complain, we're complaining about prospects, about possibilities. How many of you do this? How many of you have that, have that personality where, where there is just lurking around every, every corner is a monster ready to devour you? In other words, you're a pessimist. There's many in the room. You don't, even have to, you don't even have to confess it. I know. I'm one of those. I mean, I'm just waiting for the shoe to drop. The other shoe. The one that crushes you. I have to fight that every day. And the point is, fight it every day. Daily. He wants to test the way we walk. He wants us to know Him. He wants us to know Him. Did you notice that? Did you pick up on that theme? This was all about knowing Him. Because the more that you know Him, the more that you'll trust Him. You can't know God. You can't know God and who He is as He reveals Himself in the Bible and not trust Him. Because He proves His capability. He proves His power. He proves His love. 
And he proved that to these folks. He rescued them. Remember frogs? Lice? Gnats? Darkness? He brought them out. He saved them. That He's delivered us. He wants us to see His glory because to see the glory of God enables us to see the true nature of grumbling. See, you can't look in the face of Jesus and complain. I mean, you can, but there's something desperately wrong. You cannot look in the face of Jesus, the one who loves you, more than you'll ever be able to comprehend. You can't look at the face of Jesus and complain. When you see, and, 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 and the reason I say that is because Jesus is the glory of God in the New Testament. The radiance of God, His exact nature. Peter and James and John saw His glory unveiled and it, and it drove them to their knees. And it wasn't, it wasn't even on the radar for them to complain. Rather, it was worship. You see? And here's the thing. You can have Jesus in your face all the time. You know how, right, Jeff? You can have Jesus in your face all the time, not only through the Holy Spirit who lives in us, but through His Word. And through times like this. If you have Jesus in your face all the time, you're not going to complain as much. He wants us to know that He's God. Because if we know that He's God, we know that He's going to take care of us. Even if it doesn't rain as much as we think it should. (laughs) Even if life doesn't work the way that we wish it would. To know God is to be thankful and grateful. Finally, we will ask this question, but let's minimize as much as we can the times that we ask it. Okay? Is God with us or not? I'm going to read a passage. This is like, when you doubt, go to this. Okay? Romans chapter 8. But it may not be the passage you think it is. I'm not going to read verse 28. I'm going to start in verse 31. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with us, with him, graciously give us all things? 
Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Do you wonder if you're God's elect? If you're sitting here and you're paying attention, I mean at least a little bit, you're probably the elect of God. I mean, there's no guarantee, but I mean, come on. Why would you subject yourself to this torture? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, Famine, nakedness, danger, sword. And by the way, Paul experienced all of those things. As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What in the world do we have to complain about? In that last sentence I said, for my sake. Heavenly Father, you're for us. What else do we need to know? Thank you in Jesus' name.